by his own admission, you either love him or you hate him. But you can't deny the impact that Bart K has had, especially recently, on the ancestral health, ketogenic diet, and carnivore diet world. Um, he has been very successful, in my opinion, of raising a compelling argument uh, about things like the role of calories in body composition and how they are perceived and calculated, as well as energy expenditure. He has raised an argument concerning the laws of thermodynamics and how they apply to human beings. He's raised an argument concerning hormones and their role, as well as cholesterol, the intake of vegetable matter, fruit matter, things like the need for cardiovascular exercise, and so on and so on. But I think the arguments that he raises are compelling, and oftentimes, and I've noticed this, they're taken well out of context until you sit down and really walk through exactly what he says, you get past the character uh, of Bart K and really pay attention to what he is explaining, then I think that uh, there's some great validity in what he has to say. And he has changed my opinion on quite a few things. Now, he's especially come under fire recently because of some attacks that he has made on his YouTube channel, his channel, towards uh, larger accounts out there in the fitness and nutrition space, uh, specifically Lane Norton and Greg Doucette. And the thing of that is, is Lane Norton, for example, to be fair, has made quite a name for himself by attacking others out there and uh, putting them to the test and calling them out on things that he disagrees with. And Greg Doucette, to some degree, does the same thing. They all play a character online to some degree. A great amount of what they do is a shtick. But the cool thing is, is all three do back it up with quite a bit of knowledge and experience. I have respect for Lane Norton. And there are many things about Lane Norton that I agree with. And that, uh, you know, I've used his content in the past and have enjoyed his content in the past. And I will continue to do so. I'm also a fan of Bart K. It's not everybody's cup of tea. But it is very entertaining. And I knew immediately, this is just me, from the very first video that I watched with him, I knew he was playing a character. I knew this was an act. It's a comedic role that he plays to create controversy, to rile up the airwaves and get everybody up in a tizzy. But what does that do? It brings subscribers and it brings followers and it brings clicks. He's somewhere between Dr. Greg House and Simon Cowell. Uh, his delivery is often um, angry and sometimes even unsettling. But what I found Bart K to be, both in my interview and off air, both before our interview and after, he was surprisingly extremely humble, very sincere, very kind, very complimentary, very generous, and just all in all, a great guy to have a conversation with. Of the three people I just mentioned, Professor Bart Kay, Lane Norton, even Greg Doucette, I could see me sitting down and having a great conversation and having a beer with all of them. Uh, so let's not let that online persona you know, get into the way of having a spirited debate because all of these guys, let's face it, they are intelligent. They do have good backgrounds. 
And on you know, many occasions, some of the things that they espouse are correct and can be helpful to the people out there, the audience that they are delivering it to. So uh, please, for the sake of accuracy, listen to this entire interview, even if you have to break it up. Because I am tired of everyone in this nutrition space, in this fitness space, being cherry-picked segments of what they said or things that they've said that they're receiving from a third party just based on conjecture. So give it, the, give it a real honest test and listen to what is discussed in this interview. And I think you'll find that there are some compelling arguments and there is some good logic involved here, as well as some real science and real data. So uh, at the very minimum, you can't help but be, be entertained. And I hope you do enjoy my interview that I had with Professor Bart Kay. Enjoy. All right, everybody, I warned you, I promised you, I was not shitting you. Here we are. It is Professor Bart Kay. It is my honor, it is my privilege for you to join me today on my fine, fine channel. And uh, um, before we get started, I was going to introduce you in an intro, but it would be impossible for me to do that. I'm going to give you the floor here and just explain your credentials, your experience, where you've been, because it is so incredible. I, I would not do it justice. So please, Professor K, let my viewers and listeners know. Right. Rob, first of all, thank you very much for having me on. It's an absolute privilege and a pleasure to be here. Um, it's such a golden opportunity to be able to share some views with like-minded folks for once instead of to be in the trenches, as I often find myself, through my own doing, to be fair. It's, that's the way I've, I've chosen to go about doing things. But just a little bit about me and, and my background, where I've sort of come from. I started my first undergraduate degree as a mature age student in my mid-twenties, about quarter of a century or so ago. And within six months of starting that first undergraduate degree, I was employed teaching to other students who were struggling in that program of study. So I've been in academia at some level for about 25 years or so. Some of that time I've been employed in various roles, actually teaching classes, teaching students, being variously an associate lecturer, then a lecturer, then a senior lecturer, um, and ultimately a professor of health science. Um, in that time, I have taught the physiology of rest and exercise, it used to just be called sports science. I have taught human nutrition, I've taught anatomy and physiology, biomechanics of human movement, pure and applied statistics and statistical inference research methodology, um, 
cardiovascular pathophysiology, so what causes heart disease and what doesn't. Um, they're the main areas, and anything else I forgot that I have to at some point during that. <laughs> I think period that's of time. enough. I think that's yeah, enough. Yeah, so like a, a quite a broad range of specialisations that I've moved from one to the other to the other throughout a career. I, I didn't have a static career teaching the same thing to the same group of students at the same university. I've worked at I think it's now nine different universities on four different continents. Um, during that time, I've also been involved heavily in. Uh, conducting and running my own independent research program, doing research works into various areas and publishing research papers, and also conducting external consultancies with organisations with various access to grind, as is what an academic does. We teach, we consult, and we research, basically. For the last few years, I have been completely self-employed as a YouTube a content creator, influencer, if you like. I'm no longer employed by any academic institution. That's my choosing um, for a number of reasons that we can talk about if you want to at some point during the discussion. Um, however, I keep my I keep my hand in the academic field. I'm still researching. I'm still publishing things from time to time. Uh, I'm still a senior academic. I'm just not working in that industry anymore. I'm working in the YouTube industry instead. So that's me in a nutshell. Uh, lots of different things, uh, lots of different specializations. My real thing is about um, pointing to or has been about pointing to and correcting those folks who are prepared to come online and make videos wherein they make statements that I believe it's reasonable to refute quite strongly mostly those that support the consumption of diets, which I believe to be totally inappropriate for human beings, and or those who want to make statements about exercise physiology, training for exercise, which I believe to be false, or those making statements about statistics, statistical inference, what is science, what isn't science, what can science do, what it can't do. They're the kind of main things. And for those that have not come across my channel, you'll notice that a lot of my stuff is quite sweary, very abrasive, um, confrontational in the extreme, and all of those things are done with malice of forethought because you've got to hook the viewer somehow. So it's just a persona, it's just an act I play. Right. Um, I'm thinking about changing it because it's getting a bit old. Uh, so we'll see what happens after the new year. Watch this space. Anyway, enough from me, Rob. Well, I was about to ask you, I mean, I watched the uh, the Rob Bell um, or the Mark Bell, excuse me, interview uh, today. And I was just about mm -hmm. going to ask you if you're about done stirring up shit on the interwebs because uh, you are creating quite a stir. Um, yep. I, I have a, a Facebook group of about 11,000 members. I've got a lot of online clients. My podcast has done extremely well. I'm a little more new to the YouTube realm, but uh, when I mentioned that I was going to have you on board, the floodgates opened and questions poured in, unlike any other guest I've ever had. Mm. And uh, so today I'm going to try to combine some of those questions and I'm going to be a little bit self-serving and asking some questions that are going to reinforce some of my beliefs and some of the things that you've done to change my opinion on things. I have always said since I've been in this industry to surround yourself with people smarter than you. I do not have your academic criteria. 
I've been an in the trenches guy. I've been the boots on the ground. So I've mm. tried to surround myself with people who were smarter than me and learn from them and apply that information in real time in the trenches. And you have become one of those now. So thank you for that. But, um, why do you think, and I often talk about the dogma in the industry and, and, and the bullshit that's in the industry. And one of the things I was hoping to get through this interview is get through it without you calling me a cock monkey. So, okay. so it, if we can get, you know, I almost kind of like it if you did, uh, <laughs> but why has academia kind of shit the bed on nutrition science and why is this being perpetrated in the industry? So mm. many people have been led astray to believe such bullshit. And I applaud you for uh, sort of bringing that to light. But why do you think it is that we've been led down this road? Well, the real problem, Rob, with nutrition science, human nutrition science, and I'll give it those, human nutrition science, is that it is actually quite impossible to do any. Science is a discipline where you take ideally two populations of otherwise identical individuals and you split that group of identical individuals into, well, that group of individuals at large into two nominally identical groups, subgroups, half and half. And what you do is you control every aspect that could possibly affect your outcome that you want to investigate. And you allow one thing and one thing only to vary and you control the level of that thing and you see what the result of that was on the outcome that you thought it might affect. That's the scientific methodology. That's how we infer, that's how we garner knowledge as a scientist on cause and effect. This causes that to occur. You must exert control of everything else that could confound your outcome, affect your outcome in some way as to undercut the veracity and validity of your outcome finding. Um, or you have to be disciplined about the way you communicate about the level and veracity and, and utility of what you've done. Human nutrition science as a ring-fenced area of actually ideology and not science has failed on both counts. It is not practically possible, neither is it financially viable, and neither could you get it past an ethics committee to take a group of genetically identical individuals, separate them at birth and lock them in labs and keep them under control for their whole lives until you're ready to experiment on them and then experiment on them in a way that will probably affect their long-term outcomes. It's just not going to happen. That right. cannot be done. It will never be done in any reasonable society anywhere in the world. So we have to go with step-down positions from there. We have to go with not quite as good inferences, things that are flawed, things that are confounded. And that's what we've got. And as such, that's what we should say. We should say to people, look, human nutrition science is an approximation. It's best guess on a number of issues. Unfortunately, best guess is often not a very good guess. And we needed to be honest with the general public about that as well. And as a group of ring-fenced ideologists looking after their careers, looking after the hills they've planted their flags in, etc. 
they have to beat their chest and talk about their own self-importance and how good the work they're doing is and how much value it really is and how correct it is. Otherwise, you know, if you're if you're going for funding as a research scientist, which is the only way to survive as a research scientist, and you say, well, actually, we're doing some work that's a bit crap, really. It's actually not really establishing cause and effect. It's just kind of making some inferences that are piss weak at best, actually. Um, would you like to give me a million dollars to do this? persuade stuff that's not going to prove anything well they're going to say no i think we'll keep the money and so their work won't get done and so they won't get continuation as an academic and their careers will be over so that's that's the issue that's the problem and and by extension of that is that why you're doing what you're doing and 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 is this why you're doing the work that you do yeah it is now that I've decided of my own volition that I no longer want to be a part of this ring-fenced ideology. In I was in three separate areas at different times during my academic career, obviously, and I found the same problem with every single one of them. Um, and as such, that combined with the um the way in which academia was being managed by the people it was being managed by in the political way that it was being done got to a point that was distasteful to me to such a level that i decided i no longer wanted to be a part of that hence i went well i think i'll just go and do my own thing on youtube so that's what really started that out and um given now that i'm doing that within the rules of what youtube allows I can now say what I want. I'm not behooven to any organisation, institution. I don't have to answer to the dean or to the president or anybody else. I can say what I want to say and I can be truthful. And I think it's my responsibility to do that, to tell people that they have been hoodwinked and point very clearly, very mechanistically to the exact hoodwinkings. And that tends to piss a lot of people off. That's why I get the pushback that I get, more than the fact that I'm abrasive or confrontational or that I'm calling people a cock monkey. <laughs> they don't like what I am saying. Not It's not, okay, a lot of people say, you know, you're a so-called professor, they say. Some of them say I never really was and I made it up. Okay, good luck. Um, but a professor would never behave that way. Why Why are you swearing at these people? Why are you doing this? And well, I've kind of already explained that. It's about a hook to get viewers watching. Sure, and it works. Sure. It works well. Um, but also, it's kind of a sucker punch because people expect that if I behave that way, that I actually won't be able to back up what I'm saying with the actual science. Hopefully, they'll engage with it, as a few people have been silly enough to do, only to find, whoops, they're out of the depth now. Now we're going to absolutely flay these these charlatans now we're going to eviscerate them publicly and it's it's a methodology for educating people by subterfuge which is also kind of fascinating enthralling in some way my whole thing with the youtubers people do not want to be educated i've got another channel as well where i wear a collar and tie and i don't call anyone a cock monkey or say <laughs> any words i just talk about the science nobody watches it rob it doesn't get any attention. Okay, I take the tie off. I put on military garb sometimes and pretend to be another character called the field marshal. And I have a little yellow teddy bear that's even swearier than I am that helps me out. They love it. People want to be enthralled. They want to say, what's he going to say next? Which which words is he going to combine in what way? 
who's he going to swear at? Um, and, the, and the other side is people that actually want to be offended. They tune in precisely to be offended by what I'm doing and then tell me how offensive it was. Well, it's funny because you are the only one, the only influencer out there where I will come home from a long day and I start at 4.30 a.m. and I'll go rushing to the computer and my wife is like, what the hell are you doing? And I said, well, it's a Barquet premiere. I've never said that in 30 years, you know, or ever since the internet has been around that I I have to sit down and see what this guy's going to say next because the great thing about what you do, yeah, there is a character that you're playing. And I love how you freely admit that. But at the same time, everything that you throw out there is sincere, it's truthful, and it's at the betterment of the individual that's watching you. You are truly doing this, I think, to help people. And if, if people can't see that sincerity, then I feel bad for them because I immediately was drawn to that because I do the same thing. I would rather give somebody the correct information as a coach, as a trainer, uh, even if it's for my detriment, uh, you know, yes, I want the follows, I want the likes, whatever, but I'm never going to sacrifice the truth in order to get those likes and those clicks. And I sort of get that vibe from you every time you're on. And I think that's why you have such a huge loyal following of fans. Yeah. You're going to get those people out there that don't like you and you're looking for that because you're yeah. creating that controversy, but the legion of supporters that you've built is undeniable. And I applaud you for that. And I think what you're, the work you're doing is incredible because it is turning the tide. It is swaying opinion. And I see it happening before my eyes because I am in the trenches. What I do as a trainer and a coach, I'm not in a lab coat. I'm not in a classroom. I am working with clients on the workout floor. I have nearly 100 online clients and I have a following online of thousands that are coming to me for advice and opinion. I can't tell you how many times I've shared your videos, shared your content, and people, for the overwhelming majority of those people, absolutely love what you're doing. So I, again, I applaud you for that. So, so let me get to some questions. And sure. in, my, in my world, uh, it is either one of two predominant you know, groups of people. It's either people who have been hard training bodybuilders, athletes, gym rats, or whatever, who have, for whatever reason, come in and adopted more of a, a ketogenic or, carn- or carnivorous diet and are trying to sort out the details of that. Or conversely, I have people who are coming in from the keto carnivore world or who are now wanting to train and work on some sort of an aesthetic with their physique. So I have one of the two. So the questions coming in, you have to understand that regardless of which direction they're coming from, they've been inundated with with misinformation. So mm. when I'm dealing with these people, it's sort of like, you know, I, I'm trying to coax a squirrel to eat out of my hand and I'm not trying to make any big sudden movements and scare the shit out of them. Mm. So a lot of the questions that I'm getting when they found out that I was going to be speaking with you today, I think are coming from a place of we've been lied to. We don't get this shit. And now I have somebody with your incredible credentials to sort of reinforce the things that I've been saying or the things that I've said recently where you have corrected me and changed my way of thinking. And I think that's a critical thing to admit. So let's go right into the thing that, and I'm sure you're tired of talking about these things, but calories. It's every, since I've been in this industry since 1994, yeah. When dealing with people and their nutrition, it's been about calories, calories, calories. Now, yeah. let me also load this question, question by saying it didn't take that long for me to realize there was some bullshit. There was something amok because I knew years ago that calories were heat and I knew that it was chemical energy that was being passed into the body. 
So it never really made tons of sense, but you know, I, I followed along because that was the conventional wisdom. So, you know, I kind of went that route and I knew there was some bullshit. I knew there was something amok and it really did honestly take you all these years later for me to finally stand up and say, Hey, this is kind of bullshit. This is dogma. And here's setting the record straight. And it came from you. So can you just explain to the people that are going to be watching this in the way that you do explain why calories in calories out is a fallacy, why it doesn't work and, and the interworkings of that ideology. Right. Okay. Thus short, the most parsimonious, the most um, direct explanation, if you get nothing else from this talk, is this. The calorie is a measurement of energy in a particular form. So the first thing you need to understand is that energy, and I'll give it those, energy is a construct. It's an idea. It's a concept. Energy is not even actually externally defined by the physicists in, a, in an externally valid way. It's an internal reference back to itself. The definition of energy is the motive force to do work or the, the capacity to do work. Work being force times distance, mathematically. So a force applied over a given distance sort of thing. There are different forms of work, different forces that can be applied over different distances. And as such, there's this idea that energy comes in different forms. Fine. And that mathematically there is an interconvertibility between this form of energy and that form of energy. Kinetic energy versus heat energy, for example. That's the two... Um, examples of energy that are actually explicitly covered in the first law of thermodynamics. Thermo, heat, dynamics, movement. It's not the first law of thermochemical dynamics. It's thermodynamics, heat and movement. Yeah, Lane Norton. Yeah. Also, <laughs> mass is a form of energy, by the way. Uh, according to Einstein's relativity posit, um, which we often bastardize and express as E equals MC squared, which is a correct mathematical statement, but Einstein never said that, actually. That was someone else's formulation of Einstein's relativity paper that said, so in equivalence here, Albert, what we're saying is E equals MC squared. Oh, yeah. Okay. So anyway, that's for another day as well. Energy. I told you we'd learn something today, kids. I told you we'd learn something yeah. today. Energy, construct, idea, concept. Movement, a more tangible thing that you can measure. Heat, a more tangible thing that you can measure. Put a thermometer on it. Um, chemical energy, same deal. There are ways of measuring that, et cetera, et cetera. There are equivalences between different forms of energy mathematically. Fine. No problems. Okay. So the calorie is a measurement of energy in the form specifically of heat. How do they measure a calorie? They put a sample of food inside a closed thermodynamic system called a bomb calorimeter, and they quickly combust it to vapor. And the heat that comes off that then goes out 
via photons, because that's how heat does transfer, it's photons of light um, at a given wavelength, and that causes the energy in the valence electrons in some water in a bath surrounding the bomb calorimeter to become excited and to increase their kinetic activity, which is what we call warming the water up, heating it up. So calories are heat, is what they are. There's no two ways around that. There's no escaping that. There's no way of saying that's overly parsimonious or that's not true in some way. It is true. It is not overly parsimonious. It is a statement of unequivocal, unassailable fact. Calories are heat. Fine. Fantastic. Does the human metabolic system absorb and encapsulate heat photons of light of a given wavelength from ambience and use that for metabolic process? No. We use chemical energy. What we do is we break the carbon-hydrogen bonds in carbohydrates, free fatty acids, sometimes um, amino acids in an emergency situation, and sometimes alcohol if we're silly enough to drink any of that. And the, the energy released by the breaking of that carbon-hydrogen bond is encapsulated by another process in such a way as to generate a chemical substance called ATP, which is the energy storage, chemical energy storage medium, if you like, of the cells. And then when at any given point in the future beyond that, when that cell needs to use energy for some metabolic process, say a muscle contraction, there it is, stored in that chemical ATP. That's where we release it from and use it there. Okay. So a lot of these people that talk about calories in, calories out will say, well, the first law of thermodynamics says that energy can't be created or destroyed. It can only be changed from form to form. Now, there are several problems with that assertion. Number one, the first law of thermodynamics says no such thing. Or, or anything even similar to that, in fact, actually. And secondly, a lot of people even misrepresent that, like Lane Norton does, and say, suggest that the first law of thermodynamics says that mass is conserved, which it doesn't say either, because, well, it just doesn't say that, or anything similar to that, Lane. And secondly, mass is not conserved. So, you know, mass is a form of energy that can be transmuted directly into energy or, or condensed from energy into matter. Uh, and if you doubt me on that, See if you can find someone that was alive in Hiroshima, Japan, on the 6th of August, 1945, and ask them whether or not mass is conserved. Mm. And I'll, they'll give you the answer pretty clearly, I would imagine, if they're able to. Okay? So, you know, let's get that one straight. Okay, sure, to all intents and purposes in everyday life, mass is conserved in terms of our body composition, our body weight, but the first law of thermodynamics doesn't, deal with that or speak about that or say anything similar to that. The first law of thermodynamics says that the change in internal energy of a closed thermodynamic system is equal to the specific heat capacity of that system minus any work done by that system. Absolutely. Nothing else. Doesn't say anything else. It doesn't imply anything else. It is a clear and explicit statement of fact mathematically, which has been formulated specifically by steam engineers 
of the couple of centuries ago, specifically in order to give them an understanding of the relationship between heat and kinetic movement, specifically of pistons being driven by steam, pretty much. Quite quite dissimilar to what the human body does with food and, and, and the means in which it, it gains energy from food and in the way it expends energy in doing what it needs to do. So thermodynamics has actually got nothing to do with the human body whatsoever. And, and people say, oh, yes, but there's an equivalence for the first law of thermodynamics for an open thermodynamic system, which is what the body is. That's also false. That's a fantasy. The first law of thermodynamics is a short, explicit mathematical formulation. It says delta U equals Q minus W, full stop. Nothing else. Anything that's not that is not the first law of thermodynamics, nor related to the first law of thermodynamics, nor derived from it. It's a formulation. It's a fantasy. So none of that's any good. Um, I said this was going to be a short and parsimonious answer, and I've waffled <laughs> quite a bit about it, but it was all good. I, I wasn't expecting it, so that's okay. Here is the here is the encapsulation of it all. As an estimation, as a loose estimation of the amount of energy contained in effect in food that is accessible to the human metabolic system, the calorie is vastly, grossly, hugely inaccurate. Add to that inaccuracy the fact that, by law, nutrition labels are allowed to be out by the number of calories actually there by 20% additionally, and you've got no hope of getting anywhere near actually accurately counting how many in effect calories you really genuinely did get from eating any given sample of food or food bolus of any kind. There's no way you can count calories. I've been counting my calories for years. People say, no, you haven't. You've been counting a loose estimate that is vastly grossly inaccurate. Okay. Maybe you've dialed in on some accuracy for your own body through experience, N equals one experimentation, et cetera, over time, sure. But that's only half the problem as well of calories in, calories out, because there's a whole part after the comma, the calories out part. How are you going to measure that? If you don't have Douglas bags, gas analysis equipment, a whole body closed system calorimeter that you can exist in for significant periods of time and probably a team of PhDs to run all that kit for you, how are you going to measure your calories out? Oh, it's easy, we're told. You just go online to some online calculator that asks us our age, our gender, our height and our weight and tells us how many calories we use in a day and maybe an estimation on a one to four of our chronic physical activity right, level. Right. Are you stoned? <laughs> so calories in you can't count calories in accurately effectively or anywhere near the actual effective energy you really are deriving from food which is individual by the way and not only individual but also changes within an individual from day to day and moment to moment based on what's going on you also can't count your calories out accurately or have any hope of, of so doing so what we're left with is N equals one experimentation. How much food can I eat and lose weight? 
So it's a mass balance issue again, isn't it? Because you can't count the energy concept in there. So now we're experimenting with mass balance. And actually it is a mass balance issue. Your body composition and your body weight at large is a balance of your water mass, your protein mass, your skeletal mass, et cetera, et cetera, as different components of your overall body mass as a whole. And there is some ability to interchange between those pools. For example, you can change some carbohydrate mass into some fat mass or vice versa. So it becomes very, very muddy, these waters, very, very quickly. As soon as you want to start simplifying something beyond the level that it's reasonable to simplify it to in order to say this is a basic law and tenant of the universe and, and everybody is, you know, um, subject to this law, well, as soon as you, re you, you reduce the thing in its complexity to that degree, you have lost any hope of actually accurately getting anywhere near the truth. That is why calories in, calories out is nonsense. There you go. Outstanding. Yeah, and, and I was actually doing some yard work, building a porch in my home a month or so ago, and I was listening to one of your videos where you did a series, and the calories in, calories out video that you did was mind-blowing to me because it made me stop several times and literally stop the work that I was doing and almost just stand there in amazement because it was like, these are the things that I'd been thinking. These are the things that didn't make sense. It's sort mm -hmm. of tied everything together with when I'm working with clientele yeah. and it goes so far beyond the calories in terms of deficit or surplus that we're setting for clientele. It always mm -hmm. seemed to go far beyond that. And when you were talking about all of the things that come into play with protein, fat and carbohydrates and how it is just, you started going down a list of why it's impossible to accurately measure this intake. Mm. And then it also made me stop using the word calorie. I started telling all of my clients, this is about effective energy. This mm. is about mass. And uh, it changed the entire way that I thought about this. And I was leading toward this because I work with people in the trenches, real human beings every day in the gym floor, online, back and forth, on Zoom. And there are so many, and, you would, and you'll understand this, that we think we have them in a steep deficit and nothing's fucking happening. Mm -hmm. And it goes so far beyond that caloric intake number. And like you've so eloquently, eloquently said, and I want you to expand on this, you would have to go so deep into that deficit to truly know if you're taking someone to the, to, to the point where that body composition change would occur, but then you're also entering into a realm where there's going to be uh, metabolic damage that might occur or hormonal uh, damage that yep. might occur. Yep. So I've had to sort of retool how I work with certain individuals in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about some of those uh, issues with yeah. protein, fat, carbs? Uh, you, I've already scratched off thermodynamics because you've, you've covered that. And uh, that interplay of why you cannot track that accurately and how that works in the scheme of of dealing with an individual on an n equals one kind of scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the main reason, okay, the 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 theory why calories in, calories out is no good. I've kind of covered. Well, there's a bit more I could talk about there. Whatever. The reason that I'm so vehemently against other people saying to people, look, in effect. You want to lose weight, which, by which they usually mean fat, in which case 
call it fat. Okay? This, you know, we're talking to people about important concepts. A spade is a spade. Fat is not a dirty word. I know some other F words that are. Fat is not one of them. Okay? So if somebody says, I want to lose weight, I always say to them, do you mean body fat? Because I'll tell you what, what I would probably encourage you to do is strip off X amount of fat and add one third of the same body volume back on as muscle to help you maintain that fat loss, you will weigh the same on a scale. There will be no change to your weight. But I'll tell you what, your body composition will be improved. That's a win. I want to lose weight. No, you don't. You want to recomposition your body. Right. It's a different thing. For a start, the human body is 65% water in a relatively lean person. So your weight can change massively. Your weight on a scale can change massively very, very quickly without any change to your body composition other than the loss of water. You can dehydrate yourself. Notice I said it's possible to, to change your weight by dehydrating yourself. I did not say you should dehydrate yourself if you want to lose weight. Which, you know, idiots like Greg Douchebag Doucette will turn around <laughs> and creatively edit what I said to make it look like. Yeah, I, I was said, about to say, somebody's going to say you said that, you know. Exactly, yeah. right. And that's what these clowns do. And the reason they do that is because they have to try and undercut me somehow and they can't do it on the facts. So what they have to do is take ad hominem pot shots and misrepresent what I've said to make it look like I've said something different. I also said in the, in the same video that I'm kind of referring to there that, hey, one of the ways that you can lose weight is you can surgically remove all four limbs. You will weigh a lot less after that procedure. But is that a good idea? No. Am I saying that's what you should do if you want to lose weight? No. What I'm saying is you should stop saying I want to lose weight because it's got nothing to do with it. What you're trying to do, people, is recomposition your body in a way that's conducive to your goals, either aesthetically, athletically, or both. Your weight has got nothing to do with it. Your weight is the force applied to a scale by the mass of your body under the influence of the space-time curvature known as gravity. And the biggest component of that is the heaviest bit, and that's water. Okay? So that said, let's look at ways that you can change your composition without counting the number of so-called heat units at all. Because I'll tell you, here's another little bit of fun for you. If you look at nutrition labels, they'll say, oh, look, we have X number of grams of protein, and then they'll say energy in K calories, which they'll work out as being 4K calories per gram of protein which is a loose estimate at best, and it's allowed to be 20% out, by the way. Right. And it is often 20% out, at least. Um, but that assumes that you are going to oxidize that protein for energy to release those calories to use for metabolic process. Um, what happens to protein mostly? Mostly it gets absorbed by your body and used to build proteins in your body, physical parts of your body. And as such, that mass retains its original form 
is not chemically interacted with oxygen to release energy for ATP production, and as such, in effect, contains how many calories? Fucking none. <laughs> Zero. All right? So, you know, people that say, oh, it, it, if it fits your macros, if it fits your calorie count, you know, oh, my God, are you that stupid? Are you? Is, is it possible for any human being with more than three brain cells to be that stupid? Um, so there's that. Carbohydrates contain the same, apparently, for kcals per gram as protein apparently does, so we're told. Well, that's crazy, isn't it? Because thermic effect, even if you do oxidize the protein, any amount of it, there's a 30% loss right. because of the inefficiency, the, the loss of actual calories, actual photons of heat to entropy, the thermic effect of food. Exactly. So that throws out the protein calculations again with respect to the carbohydrates and the fats, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it, it's it, when you actually start looking at this thing at the level of detail, you quickly understand how stupid this idea is. And you also hopefully understand how stupid these so-called experts who are standing up on their hind legs in a high squeaky voice claiming to know all about this on their little videos with their 1.6 million 12-year-old prepubescent boy supporters. Exactly. 100%. want to come and tell me exactly how many different flavors of asshole I am for daring to to argue with with their head chimpanzee it's, it literally is like that bad bull chimpanzee attacking our head chimpanzee shit in hand throw <laughs> it's incredible <laughs> <laughs> okay expanding on that we know that calories in calories out is is a flawed ideology at best yeah. Yeah. And it seems like the camp on the the seco camp also are the first ones to tell you that it has nothing to do with hormones, yeah. which we know it has everything to do with hormones. And yes. one of my favorite things about the way you explain how that works in the body and how the, and the interplay between what we eat and hormonal production and hormonal balance uh, plays such a role, I think, is outstanding. Will you sort of give me your, like, I'm a five-year-old, uh, explain that to me like I'm a five-year-old version of that, how important that is. Okay, so sorry, try try to try to encapsulate that for me again. I got a bit lost there. Uh, hormones. Uh, the, the, the calories in, calories out crowd oh, yeah, says, right, has so, nothing yeah. to do with hormones. Yeah, it has nothing to do with insulin. It has nothing to do yeah. with cortisol. It has nothing to do with yeah. any of these things. That's all bullshit. And yeah. it's all about just taking in calories yeah. and expenditure of calories. And I've been telling people for a decade, it has everything to do with hormones. Yes. And I've heard you talk about that so eloquently. I wanted to get some more input from you on that. Yes. So your hormonal endocrine system determines absolutely what gear your metabolism is in at any given time on balance. You're either building up, you're in anabolism, or you are breaking down, you're, you are in catabolism. Sometimes just being called catabolic versus anabolic, if you like. It really literally is a crash box, your your um, metabolic system as a whole, and it runs forwards or backwards, forwards or backwards. You, you can't do both at once. 
so much. In different tissues at different times, sure, a little bit, but the overall management of, of your system is that you're doing one or the other. If you are in a catabolic state, it does not matter how many calories you consume on any given day that you are catabolic, you will not put on weight that day. That won't be happening. Okay, you, you consume an amount of mass of food that is such that in effect genuinely has you in, an, in, a, in a mass overplus balance, mass slash energy to some degree, that can have an effect on that system and it can drive that gearbox back towards anabolism over a few days, absolutely. And then they will say, well, that just proves calories in, calories out works across time. Well, I'll give you an example of how that's perhaps not so and how actually hormones, the endocrine system, and also the one that we often forget is the, is the immune inflammasome as well, has a massive impact on what your body is doing storing, building things up or breaking things down, for example. And we're talking protein, fat, carbohydrate stores and water balance, all handled together and sort of pseudo-independently as well to just again muddy those waters up and make it technical. Here's the example. January 1st this year, so 11 and a half, nearly 12 months ago, I did a two-week period where I was asked to consume three, three and a half times the number of calories that I was eating prior to that chronically, and to do that every single day for two weeks solid as part of a challenge for another purpose, for a body recomposition thing that I was doing at the time. And I went, oh, this will be interesting. I wonder how much weight I'll put on. I wonder how fat I'll get. Because that had me eating six to six and a half thousand calories for 14 days solid. So if calories in, calories out is correct, and my baseline diet prior to that was stable at between 2,100 and 2,300 calories, then suddenly going up to six, six and a half for 14 days, I'm going to get fat. I'm going to put some fat on. There's no two ways about it. I'm going to put some weight on because calories in, calories out always works every time. Absolutely. It's the law of thermodynamics, don't you know? <laughs> Even though it isn't, actually. Um, and, you know, how can I possibly say that anything else is true? I must be making it up. Anyway, guess what happened? You probably don't have to guess. You've probably heard the story. Anyone that's oh, followed yeah. me for more than five minutes. Love it. I lost 15 pounds. More than a pound a day for 14 days while consuming three times the energy that I had hitherto chronically. Ah, uh, oh, yes, well, you must have done a lot of exercise then, is the next thing they say, because calories in, calories out always works. Nope, didn't lift a finger during that 14 days. If anything, I did less exercise, which was almost none already. What happened? I changed my diet in terms not only of the calories, but also its makeup. And I changed it to 100% carnivore. I took out all the calories that were not carnivore 
and replaced them three times over with carnival calories. My inflammasome calmed down, my inflammatory process calmed down, my body stopped retaining a whole bunch of water it was retaining because I was inflamed. I pissed out 12 and a half pounds of water. And three pounds of fat, lost, if I remember right. I also lost two and a half pounds of fat, which, which gave me 15 pounds fat loss in 14 days, consuming six and a half thousand calories. Calories in, calories out, busted, we're done. Forget the water weight lost. Forget that inflammatory situation, although that was weight. Let's just focus on the two and a half pounds of fat I lost, consuming three times the amount of energy I had prior to. If calories in, calories out was true and correct, that cannot have happened. It did happen. Right. Whether 12-year-old supporters of Greg Doucette like that fact or not, that's what occurred. We're done. And I see this happen all the time. Uh, I, I think I would have a good story for your your carnivore success stories that you have on your channel. I, as a competitive bodybuilder in his 50s, in 2019, made the shift from keto to full carnivore, competing in bodybuilding competition at a fairly high level in the MPC. Yeah. And I started consuming nearly twice the number of calories from just meat and eggs yeah. uh, during that contest preparation over the course of eight months. And I actually got leaner, I got harder, I got more separated, I got more striated, my mm -hmm. physique changed dramatically, and I went into my 2019 competition in the NPC, which is like the minor leagues of the pros, and swept every division that I entered as an old guy at you know 51 years old at that point. Yeah. And uh, people were just amazed by that, and I've been carnivore ever since. And uh, I have also have clients that we've shifted over to a species appropriate species specific diet as you say mm -hmm. and uh the results have been dramatic and this is with an increase in uh, effective energy intake and uh there, there's no disputing it there's absolutely no disputing it so uh yeah. with that said you talked about the inflammation factor and it's such a critical thing and i also love your work on the randall cycle and I think it's something that needs to be brought more into the mainstream. Not Nobody talks about it. You seem to be the guy that's carrying that flag. Right. Do you think that the activation of the Randall cycle, and you can explain what that is to my viewers who are like, what the fuck is that, mm -hmm. uh, is the leading cause of systemic inflammation in the body? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I do. I think it's a very important cause. Uh, before I get to Randall cycle, I, I wanted to sort of close the loop a bit on absolutely finishing drowning seco calories and please, calories. please do please do in in a bart k kind of a way please here's the thing to make it work for you definitely to see a rate of fat loss even that you want to see what people typically have to do is reduce their effective intake of food so much to swamp the signal-to-noise ratio that's going on with all these inaccuracies, that it's damaging to the metabolism long-term. Right, right. It's damaging psychologically as well as physically. It's – this is why I'm so against calories in, calories out, because you have to vastly, grossly under-eat for a significant period of time which will only mess up your metabolism, mess up your health long-term, mess you up psychologically. It's just bad, stupid advice based on pseudoscience and claimed authority that those people have no business claiming, frankly. 
So that's the, the circle closed on that one. In terms of this Randall cycle idea, it's a concept which was first put forward by Sir Philip Randall in a paper that he published in 1963. So this is not new information. This is not a new idea. We've known about this for a very, very long time. But, but hasn't it been greatly suppressed? Oh, absolutely. And I'll tell you why. It's been suppressed absolutely because it's at odds with the ideas that were being put forward by another very powerful scientist at that time, name of Ansel Keys. Ansel Keys. Ansel Keys, if nothing else, was a very, very good networker, a very good builder of consensus, and, and made himself a very, very powerful man, very powerful in the sciences at that time. A lot of people don't realize that, that Ansel Keys was not even a nutritionist. He was a fish physiologist, a cold water fish physiologist, who was desperately looking for something to publish in order to survive the rigors of publish or perish in academia. He came up with an idea around saturated fat, collected the data on saturated fat to answer his hypothesis, found out that his hypothesis was no good, and then went to head and tossed out two thirds of the data and published the one third of his data set that did agree with his hypothesis. It's called cherry picking. It's academic misconduct of the highest order. He actually should have gone to prison for the rest of his life. Instead, he was lauded and became very, very powerful as a scientist and actually changed the way Western governments, Western food authorities, all these associations talked about nutrition and what they promoted and said to people for the next 80 years. And it was all criminal, all based on criminal misrepresentation. And as such, Sir Philip Randall's work with the Randall cycle was was a clear sign that Ansel Key's ideas weren't so good, and as such, it got swept under the carpet, and hardly anybody's even heard of it. You can look in a in a textbook of physiology, and you'd be lucky if you find the thing. In a lot of textbooks, I certainly, for one, in my undergraduate training and my postgraduate training, actually, I'd never heard of the thing. I only found it by reading the literature and going, what the hell is this thing? Why, why wasn't I taught this? This makes sense, I thought. And I looked into it, and the more I looked into it, the more it made sense. Here's what it is. Basically, in a nutshell, in any given cell, in the fluid of that cell, there is resources for um, oxidation, for energy. Mostly, those resources are carbohydrates and or fats. If a cell is below 100% full in terms of its energy quotient of fats and or carbohydrates in any mixture, it will run fine, no problems. The fats and carbohydrates will run through the mitochondria, they'll be oxidized for energy, they'll produce ATP, everybody's happy, no problems. As soon as the cell starts getting towards its full capacity for energy capacitance in the form of carbohydrates and fats, those carbohydrates and fats will start to cross inhibit each other for access to the mitochondria. They're like two fat people trying to get through a rotating door at the same time and crashing into each other and everything jams up, basically, in a nutshell. That's, that's what it is. As such, what happens then is that 
in in the amount of time that that Randall cycle effect is activated, what's actually happening is the cell is actually draining down its energy status, its redox potential, if you like, because the mitochondria will continue to do what they're doing, but nothing's getting in. Now, what the mitochondria do is they take ADP plus inorganic phosphate and they jam it together to make ATP, the energy substrate that we were talking about earlier. If the ATP concentration in a cell drops down, as a function of that, the concentrations of both ADP plus PI, the inorganic phosphate, build up. And that's what's happening. There's a whole suite of proteins in every cell of your body called your pro-inflammatory cytokines. These are the intermediary signaling molecules of your inflammasome, of your inflammatory system. They are all activated by an increase in inorganic phosphate because that's a cellular emergency. So yes, the Randall cycle absolutely is likely to be one of the, if not the most important cause of chronic systemic inflammation. Reason being that it's there's a, there's a very mild activation of this lockout if you've got a high level of fat and a low level of carbohydrate in the cell. It does happen on fat alone, but it's it's really hard to get that activated. If you've got a really high level of carbohydrate but almost no fat, it activates, but it's kind of the middle of the three situations in terms of its strength of activation and the length that that activation remains in force once the cell drains the energy down. The most powerful way to activate that Randall cycle, so the strongest activation for the longest period of time, the hardest to get it turned back off again in any given cell, is to feed that cell a mixture of carbohydrates and fats because it is a cross-inhibition problem largely. Okay, too much energy in either form needs to be locked out. Sugar more so than fat, actually, because sugar at very high concentrations, damaging, destroys cells, glycative damage, wrecks your DNA, tears your lipid rafts to bits, kills cell organelles. Too much sugar in a cell will kill it. That's why diabetes is such a bad thing. Destroys your body. Too much fat, much less problematic. A mixture of carbohydrate and fat both lock each other out immediately, very, very strongly, very, very powerfully. Very, very strong re um, reaction, very, very strong inflammatory reaction. There you go, in a nutshell. That's, that's the situation with the Randall cycle. So the answer in terms of that is to consume a diet which is either very, very rich in fat and very, very poor in carbohydrate, or very, very rich in carbohydrate and very, very poor in fat in terms of the Randall cycle. One of those diets is replete and complete in all the nutrients required by a human body at all times, and one of them is absolutely destitute right. of nutrition. And this is why... So decisions made. It's very simple. And this we is why bodybuilders, bodybuilders can do a high-protein, high-carb, low-fat diet, achieve mm -hmm. an aesthetic... Yeah. That is very impressive and be very lean, but they're risking long-term health detriment. Correct. Whereas somebody that were to go high protein, high fat, and low carb yeah. could achieve roughly the same thing as I've experienced in my career yeah. and live a, a, a higher quality life 
free of all the uh, metabolic side effects of the high carbohydrate diet. Yeah. And then they'll say, oh, but you need carbs to build muscles. That's a horse shit. Of course it's horse shit. Muscles are made of amino acids, dummy, not not sugar. I've never understood since 2010 when when I went keto, it never made any sense to me how these bodybuilders can continue to pound this drum that you have to have carbohydrates to get big. Now, I can kind of even understand it if I squint, if they talk about it being an energy compound or to help them get through workouts or you used specifically for a carb up to achieve an aesthetic before going on stage, but to ignorantly espouse that you need carbohydrates to get big Mm. just seems like complete lunacy to me. It's exquisite bullshit. Yes, absolutely. folks. Which brings us to the apex of this conversation because I don't want to keep you too long. I know you're busy. This is why the carnivore diet is the pinnacle of the ketogenic protocol and why so many have come to this conclusion and landed on this mountaintop. And in in your words and in your opinion, since you're so well-schooled in this, why is the carnivore diet the apex of nutrition ideology? Right. For me, it's really simple. Darwinian evolution, selective pressure, both positive and negative on our genomic makeup, therefore our organ systems, therefore our whole body makeup, that which informs what we are as a species. It's not a theory. It's a demonstrated, unequivocal phenomenon. It's a fact of the world in which we live. That is how living organisms absolutely do develop over huge amounts of time. Human beings absolutely unequivocally, it means without question, have definitely consumed an almost completely carnivorous diet as human beings for the last 350,000 years, bar about the last 10,000 following the agrarian revolution, which is the second worst thing we ever did nutritionally. The worst thing we ever did was add seed oils to our diet. That's for another day. Um, So that's what's informed our genes, positive and negative selection pressure. That's what's informed our organ systems. And you look at our organ systems, how they function, how they interact with each other, how it works as a whole across the whole organism of the human body. It, It all points the same way. That is how we should eat. Should we be consuming fiber? No, it turns out fiber destroys our colonic function, our um, ability to absorb nutrient. Um, it's counterproductive for for good bowel function, and it's it tears our colons to bits and causes all sorts of inflammatory responses and problems there. So get that out of there. So these ketogenic diets that contain fiber, no. That's pro-inflammatory. That's not going to help you long term. It's better than a standard diet, perhaps, for 10, 15 years maybe until you really start to suffer the the problems that you will suffer with with inflammation. Um, Okay, so we get the fibre out of there. The other thing we need to get out of our diet that inflames us and causes problems, absolutely and without question, is plant-based toxins. The very things that the plants put in their bodies to discourage animals from eating them. They can't run away from you. They're rooted to the spot. They have to have a defense mechanism. 
its chemical, we have identified thousands of chemical compounds that are absolutely problematic and toxic to human beings. More than 200 of them are found in this stuff, coffee, for example, alone. Um, so we get those out of our diet, and we're so much the better for it. Um, do we then suffer a carbohydrate deficiency? No, because the exact requirement for carbohydrates in the human diet is not one gram ever. What we were talking about with needing carbohydrates for exercise, actually, it's true because the thing that determines your exercise capacity most closely in that regard is your resting glycogen level in your muscles. And your glycogen is synthesized in your muscles at rest according to your training status, not according to your diet, because you have a system in your body called gluconeogenesis, which produces all the glucose you require for all metabolic processes at all times from non-glucose precursors, leaving the exact dietary amount required of external carbohydrates taken into your body from other sources, none. Zero, big fat zero. So that's not going to be a problem. Okay, well, the next thing is vitamin C, though. We need vitamin C or we die, which is true, absolutely. However, there is perfectly sufficient vitamin C in the muscle meat yep. of large ruminant animals. Perfectly sufficient. You do not require anything like the level of vitamin C you're told you do unless you consume a diet rich in carbohydrates, in which case you do need a higher level of vitamin C, precisely because the transporter that gets vitamin C out of the blood and into the cells is a transporter called GLUT4, which I'm sure you've heard of. Yep. It's the one that gets sugar across that boundary into cells. So if that transporter is busy being outcompeted, by sugar molecules, then vitamin C can't get in, so you need a higher concentration of vitamin C to get enough in. Take the sugar out, you don't need such a high concentration of vitamin C. Jobs are good in. Anyway, um, if, if scurvy was going to be a problem for carnivore-eating people, then I'd be dead about seven years ago. Yep, I'd be dead. Uh, yep, Rob would be dead. Sean Baker would be dead. We'd all be dead. We're not. So that one's not going to work. Um, oh, yes, but what about all that cholesterol and heart disease, they'll say? Oh. That's the next one. Well, there's no science to back that one up either. Cholesterol does not cause heart disease and neither does saturated fat. I've covered that in great detail on my fine, fine YouTube channels variously. I think you should go and subscribe to every one of them if you're not already. Oh, done. Um, Long time ago. Good. Excellent. And, even, and shared. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll put lots of notes down here as well today as good. well. Good. Yeah, I've even got one that's poking shit at the flat earthers. So I've got, I've got channels on all <laughs> sorts of topics, but there you go. Um, um, Professor K, there's so much more I would like to discuss with you, but I know you're busy. And we'll leave it for another day where everybody can catch their breath from this one. And then we hopefully, if you'll honor me, can continue, continue down other roads. I'd like to talk about training. Yep. Uh, I lit up when I heard you say eight reps to failure until you can't do number nine. I've been doing high intensity training for 30 years. That's one of my expertise. Yeah. And uh, the fact that uh, you're also uh, quoting Monty Python and I believe you play guitar. 
yeah. uh, is another That's reason that. Channels uh, too. Yeah, and 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 I know. So that's another reason why I've got a slight man crush on you. But uh, uh, but I I can't even begin to describe how honored I am that you come on my little channel. And uh, I, I know that the importing of questions and intrigue that I've gotten from my subscribers, they're going to be super impressed, super pleased. And, and I thank you so much for being here. And I hope you will give me the opportunity to speak with you again in the future. Oh, you absolutely bet. Look, any time whatsoever, I would be absolutely delighted. It would be a privilege to come on. All you need to do is drop a note to my executive show producer. He's normally in the background twiddling all the knobs. Um, usually, I try and keep him off camera, though, because he can't behave, not even for a few seconds. He really is a very, very naughty boy. And, you know, he just he just cannot be trusted, not even for a second. <sighs> I was hoping to get a yellow Ted. So my day is complete. You, you completed my holiday week. I feel fulfilled and I go. truly, truly appreciate it. All right. So yellow Ted will keep an eye on the inbox <laughs> and he'll let me know when your email comes in or well, you've got the, you've got the calendar link. Just book it in. Um, it'll, it'll probably be in the new year now, but there you go. Love and if it. you uh, if you so ever would allow it, I'd love to be on your show and maybe explain how you have helped me uh, uh, recently and what I've done with a carnivore diet to uh, stand on a competition stage and uh, scream its benefits from the rooftops. So you bet, absolutely, same deal. Book it in. Absolutely. How uh, it's on my channel, <laughs> Professor K. I hope you have a fantastic night. Again, thank you so much for honoring me with this, and uh, have a great week. You too.